Welcome to What Are You Sporting About podcast, a podcast about business, employment, sports, and entertainment to help educate, support, and guide you to your next level. Here's your host, attorney Savania DeBarros. Hello, hello, everybody out there in the podcast world. I am back before you again. I am Savania DeBarros, the protector of athletes. The host of this podcast, as you know, and the founder and principal attorney at the S. Elder Barlow's Law Firm, where we represent six and seven figure business owners and athletes in business. I'm so excited to dive into the content for today because it's a much needed conversation to have. And um, in light of mental health, right? So May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think this is a great conversation to be discussing with people in your family. Um, so we'll, we'll dive into that with Beth. I do have a few announcements that I'd like to make with you guys. So you're, you've either seen this or you're going to see that I have a new book that's coming out. It's going to launch July 31st of this year. Okay. And it's called Athletes Making Moves, How to Secure Your Future by Protecting Your Name, Image, and Likeness. So Make sure that you drop some comments and drop some notes in the comment section if you want to have an individual blasting out to you when we are gearing up to release a lot of this information to the public. I would love to have you be the person on my list where you get the first dibs on all the things that we're going to be offering. But I also want to make sure that I have you in my system so that you are updated for any events that we're having, any conversations that we're having around this book. And then, of course, all the sweet deals that we're going to be doing and bringing to to you um, for the launch. So without further ado, I have Miss Beth Gardner. She is a life coach to non-addicts, and she's also a cancer survivor, I believe, right? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. So she's going to treat us a lot. (laughs) today about the work that she's been doing around helping people to overcome addiction. Um, but let me just tell you a little bit about her. So she has a bachelor's degree in psychology. She's also a certified life coach, and she's currently working to empower, inspire, and guide lives in the North American continent and worldwide. So she definitely wants to make sure that she helps individuals to heal so that they, um, if they've been negatively impacted, by addiction or cancer in their personal or professional lives, she is the person who's there to help lead you out of that and into the life that you desire. So welcome to the platform today, Beth. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Is there anything I left out that you want to give um, any more foundation to our listeners about who you are? Yes. Um, I do want to specify that I'm specifically working with non-addicts individuals who have been affected by those with substance abuse or addiction. And by that, I mean individuals who have gone through life without not having an addiction, but in their personal life, family life, work life, extracurricular activity life, have been surrounded by active substance abuse users or addicts um, and have found to be traumatized by it. Um, There are multi-million dollars spent on addiction facilities. You can go to an exotic location, go through a 12-step program, which is great if you have an addiction. Um, And then you have counselors that follow you through um, your healing path once you've left the facility. But there's nothing for anyone on the other side. And I've actively searched on my own 
through large metropolitan cities, and I've come across a number of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, therapists, licensed to help addicts, but not anyone on the other side. And so for whatever reason, while there is Al-Anon, um, it's only fair that people have, that have been caregivers, codependents, enablers, um, need their own path towards healing. So that is specifically what I'm, what I'm focused on. Thank you for breaking that down and explaining that because it gives me a different perspective about what you do and who you speak to because it's so true. So, um, and of course, growing up with addicts, that's, that's a totally different conversation, right? But we know in the grand scheme of things, there are different things that individuals may experience in their childhood that tends to um, create a trauma for that person. And so although they weren't themselves afflicted with whatever those issues were that they grew up around, still there's some internalization of those issues that they take into their everyday life or how they interact with other people, or maybe it shows up in their relationships. Um, maybe it shows up with their children because they never understood that the afflictions that other people had did in some way impact them. So okay. thank you for that. Sure. So you. Go ahead. That's awesome. Me. Okay. So um, you are a former athlete. Correct. So I want you to tell me a little bit about that and how you got into this field of helping non-addicts. Sure. Um, well, throughout my life, I've been an athlete of a wide range, variety, excuse me, of ways of softball, basketball, volleyball. Whenever there was a season, a new season, I was in that sport. Um, once I went to my senior year at Drexel University, I got involved in the sport of rowing just to try it out. I love being around the water and it just seemed like a right fit. Um, and once I submitted my, my testing scores, my senior year, I got invited to a national team training centers throughout the United States. So from graduation on, I spent, um, majority of my time training with world-class athletes in the hopes of earning a berth on the national team. I did not earn a berth on the national team, but that's okay. Um, but what led me into trying to help those with addiction, as well as those that have um, are currently going through or have had cancer, um, was the fact that I was diagnosed one year after the retirement of rowing. So I retired in 1999. By November of 2000, when I was training to run my first marathon in Philadelphia, I was diagnosed with stage three. And it perplexed me as to why someone as health conscious as I was, as straight-laced as I was, I, you know, I wasn't involved in addiction, um, would have had cancer in the body. It just didn't add up. Um, any athlete would that knows that it's gone through, you know, any type of a sporting event, you're, you're pretty conscious going up to event day what you're going to eat because you know that your body's not going to respond if you don't eat according to, you know, what it's that's suited for. And so I had spent my entire life eating properly. I'd grown up with a nurse, a mother who was a nurse. So we didn't have white bread in the family. Um, fish, chicken, we weren't allowed fried food. I mean, that was snuck in by my father. He'd bring home the Kentucky fried chicken and then we'd have to go dump it in a neighbor's garbage so we didn't get caught. So, it, you know, I couldn't understand how it happened. And when I 
started to do research after I had two rounds of chemotherapy. So that was a total of six months. And then six weeks of radiation, I started to do research as to why this happened to someone like myself, because I was 30. Right. Life had somewhat began, but my new chapter, my life was just starting. So I came across a book by the late Louise Hay, um, who many people I'm sure are familiar with. She wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life. And being an active athlete, particularly the level I was, I already knew that your body could could you could use your mind to perform physically to so that your body would execute whatever physical activity was required in the competition. Um, and from her book, I learned she studied metaphysics. And from her book, I learned the true meaning or causes from a metaphysical standpoint of bre having breast cancer or having cancer in general. And from her definition, and I'm reading through this right now, um, for breast cancer, uh, what represents breasts represent mothering and nurturing. So it's the lack of, if you get breast cancer, it's the lack of having nurturing, proper nurturing um, or mothering yourself in life. And then when I read about what she, her definition of cancer, it was deep, hurt, long lasting resentment. That was the cause of cancer. Um, it could be from holding on to deep secrets too long, repressed grief, um, eating away at the self and carrying on, carrying like hatreds with you throughout life. And then that sort of is when a, a light bulb went on in my head and I realized, well, my life had been surrounded by addicts, um, whether it be alcohol. Alcohol was the primary one, but in, in various areas of my life, again, whether it was sports, academic personal life, family, there were always addicts. Um, so I, I realized that I had been, over the course of time, suppressing my, my pain and my emotional trauma from being surrounded by addiction. But also I was trying to channel it through sports by achieving. I'm a high achiever. Um, and all of that manifested into cancer because it's not in my gene pool. And that's why I was so puzzled. Other things are in the gene pool, high blood pressure, very common things. Um, but that's when the light bulb went on. And that's when, you know, sort of the two areas that I became focused on, that's when I started to go try out Al-Anon. That's when I started to seek out um, professional help for someone like myself who's been on the other side of addiction. And that's when I started to find that I couldn't find help that I needed. Al-Anon is great. It's confidential. But it wasn't like I could leave the meeting and find a buddy to talk more about over coffee. And I am, you know, well-educated. You know, again, I'm an athlete. And so, you know, I'll show up with my questions to therapy. And, and they weren't able to help me because they weren't licensed to do that. They weren't educated to do that. And many of them weren't addicts themselves or hadn't been on the other side. So they hadn't even walked the walk. Yet at the same time, they were licensed to help addicts. So if that makes any sense, that's, that's essentially how I got to this point in today, because I knew if I didn't work on myself and pull those toxic roots, deep roots that I weren't even aware were there, um, the cancer would come back. The name of the game is don't allow the cancer to come back. When you're at stage three and you're 30 years of old, you're not predicted to make it five years. And I'm an athlete, so I'm thinking, well, I'm gonna beat this game. How am I gonna beat this game? 
I'm going to have to pull the roots. And so I went ahead and did the, the work in pulling all the toxic roots for me so that I could heal, so that the cancer wouldn't come back. If that wow. makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I just feel like it's so prevalent for mental health awareness because, I mean, we've all heard the saying, you know, stress kills, basically, and you can get all these ailments from stress. But sometimes I don't even think people realize that they're stressing over something. Um, one thing that athletes have in common is that they all are all high achievers. And so as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, is the high achievement to get away from all of the stuff that's happening around them? Is that a form of addiction? Like the need to do, to do, to do, to keep doing, to move away from all of that? Is that something that is that can cause the individual to become sick because they're so busy with removing themselves from the affliction of the household that they tend to try to be more, do more? Like I've been there. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm still there, you know. But as a, a young child and a teenager and a college student, I always mm-hmm. felt like I was diving more or deeper into something so that I can ignore all the other stuff, you know, that's going on in the back of, of my mind. Um, but you just, you just kind of, you just give me like a different perspective on that because we know that stress will kill. Um, but where is the support for the individuals who are not technically labeled as addicts dealing with the stressors that come from people who may have addictions. And then I want to ask you this too, though. If your family is so-called, if there are people in your family who may be addicts, does addicts have to be identified as a person who may be on drugs or alcohol, like, right? Because addiction can take a form of something else. Correct. Addiction can take a form of, you know, shopping, there's pornography addiction. Um, yeah, there's a lot, every, there are so many different um, categories of addiction. Um, but the one I was more familiar with, particularly the environment I was growing up in, was um, the alcoholism. But then again, you know, look, in all fairness, and please note that I, I come from a mindset that I don't believe anyone comes into this world wanting these problems. People don't come into this world, I can't believe, wanting schizophrenia. Wanting bipolar, wanting that clinical depression where they are so low that all they can think of is suicide. Right. You know, people don't come in saying, I want the DNA of a crack addict or I want the DNA of an alcoholic. People don't want that. So I'm coming from literally a non-judgmental point from both sides. I'm a Libra. I'm as balanced as as they get. Um, So I'm looking at it in fairness on both sides, which is why I said kept saying, why aren't there people to help us, myself? So yes, I, I do believe that um, for me in particular, I did channel that energy from the negative environment that I was in into a sport. I tried to positively channel it and, and the talent was there. So I was able to do it somewhat successfully. But I was also raised during the generation by people that had uh, fought through World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, um, and the Korean War. Boomers. 
high energy, highly driven. So I was also already, I was going out to those sports to channel it, but then I was being involved in a community that was also with addiction and high energy. So, and if you're born like myself, I was someone that was just born, athletes, particularly endurance, were high energy. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of other um, athletes out there that are just naturally high energy. We just move to a little quicker of a beat. We're not manic. We're just, we carry a lot of positive energy. You got to channel it somewhere. That's um, true. And and that's how, you know, they used to joke around with me. Oh, it's because she, I was born with, I had reddish hair. And I thought it's part of it because of that red, reddish hair. No, <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> I was was hardwired as an athlete. I'm not hardwired as a decorator. You know, I'm not a musician. Certain things I just can't do. I won't even, you know, attempt. Forget it. I'm not singing. You know, when I grew up in a church, they're like, do you want to be part of the choir? I'm like, no, you don't want me there. But I do see you have handbells, and I'm happy to do that. (laughs) Just quietly give me a handbell, and I'll just ring it it along. That is funny. In my kilt. But, um, so, yes, I do believe it's athletes do channel it. And I, I, you know, I look at like, for example, the, the Ironman athletes, Ironman, yeah. Ironman women. That's just insane. First, I'm going to run a marathon and then I'm going to like swim across the ocean, you know, and then we're going to finally, we're going to bicycle across the United States. You know, I can't under- wrap my head around that, you know, cause for me, I was going to do one marathon and, and that was, it, it was going to be one and done just to get it out of the way to do it, have the experience. Um, but I, I couldn't imagine making a career out of it, um, particularly because I'm, I'm big to begin with. I'm a Clydesdale. So you know, for me to be running all the time and be wearing my knees away. Uh, so that I do believe for me in particular and probably for other people, um, it is also the environment. How do you, you go, go ahead. No, sorry about that. Um, how do individuals recognize that um they are if 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 there's not the bright line label where you can say okay my mom or my dad or whoever's in the household are actual addicts but whatever they're doing could be considered an addiction taking that into account with a traditional addiction and you are a person who are in that environment, not an addict, how do you recognize that you're dealing with that? How do you recognize that the trauma is, is there? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> when you're in it, when you're in the force of it, it's really hard to see. And I, I remember clearly graduating from high school and going to college and just literally wiping my brow and thinking, well, that was interesting. I don't ever want to be around that. But I was too young to know and it had a time period where society didn't talk about the fact that you could still move on in life. And that situation, until you deal with those issues, resurface one way or another. They come in different shapes and forms. So um, one of the ways, if, if you were, is to actively pay attention to your energy when you're in the environment. Do you find that your blood pressure raises? Do you find yourself getting anxious? Um, do you find yourself easily ticked off? Pay attention to your own energy, and that will help you um, 
realize that yes, you may have stuff that's that's repressed. You may be truly affected by this. You know, is it affecting your school? Is it affecting your chosen sport or any area of your life that you're passionate about? If if you're finding that area is you're not progressing as you should um, to your personal standards, not to society, but whatever your goal is, if you're you, it, very well, you may have deep rooted issues. Do you suffer from depression, but it's you don't think it's clinical? Do you find yourself crying at times or getting emotionally um, depressed? You know, that could be attributed to it. I thought I went by the time I, I reached my late 20s, I thought I was overtrained and I was being trained by a Russian. And Russian society, as as you know, people say, it's it's very they have very strong work ethics. So I thought I had been was overtrained. Um, but it wasn't the overtraining. I was still carrying it. And that cancer, for the cancer to have gotten to where it was by 2000, it had started when I was 25. So it started in 1995. So I'm competing at a national level um, and carrying it. And I didn't know it. And I thought I was overtrained. I wasn't overtrained. I had cancer. And it had manifested. But I, I was trained by the coach to work through the pain because rowing is, you know, a lactic acid burning sport. Um, and it requires someone to have, you know, a very good VO2 max. So I was trained to push through that pain, you know, very much like track sprinters, push through it, hurdle through it. Um, and so I was pushing through it. And as a woman, we're designed to be able to maintain a lot of pain, right? We're expected to. So I'm holding on and repressing pain. And not letting it go. So man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like I, I feel you on that. Like I've I've been there, not just from an athletic standpoint, but human and as a woman, as an adult. Like there's so many things that happen in our life and we've been conditioned to just push through. And it's so mm-hmm. funny you even brought that up because it's gonna be in a different talk that I have that's coming up. Um, where I talk about the resilience of, of individuals and people and athletes, and we are conditioned to push through. And at the point, it works. It helps, you know, to know that you can get through anything, any form of adversity. But the part that um, is really damaging is the fact that you're ignoring you. You're ignoring your health and what's right for you because your mind has been conditioned by different things and different people that know you got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going, where you never think, okay, is there a moment to really rest? Is there a moment to really take my my right now in my own hands um, to make sure that I am at my best? Because I'm sure once that happened, I mean, it's like, okay, well, now I got to go for treatment. Everything else didn't matter anymore, right. you okay. know? So we 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 put the future. This is where that high achiever stuff comes in. We we work so hard for what's coming next that we fail to really recognize what's in the now, so that we can show up for what's next. Sure, absolutely. In fact, I'm having memories back when we were at the Olympic training center for cyclists in Colorado Springs. That was where we were for our winter training. <laughs> We did four hours of lifting in the morning and then three hours in the afternoon and then two hours of swimming at night. Um, but they did 
blood testing on us. And I remember my cholesterol was dangerously low. And I, again, I was just told, well, that's because you're overtrained. You know, I wasn't thinking, oh, I might have cancer. So what did I do that night? I hadn't been eating much red meat. I got a steak. But hold on, Beth. I don't even understand what this overtrain means. Um, so I'm sleeping. <laughs> at, oh, I'm sleeping at night. I'm lying in bed, and my resting heart rate should be below 40. Right, an endurance athlete, and it's at 114. Whoa. That's what okay. I mean. We used to um, wear heart rate monitors, not just during training. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly what we called steady state workouts. So it'd be like a two hour um, constant rowing repetition at a low mm-hmm. rate. Um, but I would wear it at night so that if I woke up, I could double check it and see where my heart rate was at. So yeah, my, my average resting heart rate was well over a hundred, which was dangerous. Yeah, that's a lot. So that's what I mean by overtrained. And then psychologically, I had lost the fire. You know, I mean, we athletes, we have a burning passion, a burning desire to do the sport. And I, for me, I know it's, it's through God, but you know, there's this desire, your, your brain is hardwired a certain way um, to, to respond in a sport, to um, compete. And I lost it. I didn't have a fire. I didn't care, but I wasn't depressed. It was just, my body was shutting down. It was saying, stop enough you know but you don't you can't explain that to a russian athlete who's been to the olympics (laughs) 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 i remember having bronchitis we used to climb pikes peak once a week pikes peak fourteen thousand feet we could go as high as they would allow us um without us getting into trouble and then we had to run down and the last time i said i'm not doing it because i had i literally had bronchitis I said, I'm, I'm not going to go climb 14,000 feet at altitude because I've got, he said, well, that's your decision, but you may lose your seat if you do. Wow. So I have to choose, you know, by pushing through it. And, you know, even though I was in, on antibiotics, they gave me antibiotics there um, or not do it. And I, I just didn't do it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Godly. But that's that's an example of, you know, pushing to the point that I was overtrained and I had bronchitis. Mm. That's something else, because um, that's that was extremely dangerous. But it's another mental health issue is having that willpower to say no for yourself, because what would have happened if you had a heart attack on the mountain? You still would have lost your seat. Do you know what I'm saying? It was a, it's a narrow pathway when climbing that, and there's not a ramp. So you know, I, I kept thinking I don't want to slip and fall because you had you were there's a time limit to going up and going down, and it was it was three hours and thirty minutes. So if if you're cutting it close towards the end, guess what? You're running down, mm. and going down a mountain at top speed that winds around. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Well, I want to I want to bring something up. Um, and I told you I would bring it up. So this week, I think a day before um, Colt Brennan, who was an NFL football player, he also played for the NCAA. 
Um, he had some passing records at Hawaii and he died at age 37 this week. And he was a recovering addict. So I think that he was found unconscious, possibly died from an overdose. There's a lot that could be said about um, someone who has an actual, you know, addiction and, and why they have the addiction, what it is that they're trying to either mask or ignore or get away from. But your specialty is helping those who are non addicts. So individuals in Colt's family, what are some of the things that you think um, they they may have issues with now on the back end as you know they they start to really take a hold of his passing um, as they start to come out of out of that grief phase to then really look at how that issue with him has affected their lives. Um, for, so you're referring to those that are currently grieving, maybe family right. members and such? Yep, so right. maybe family members, any significant others. Um, I don't know if he had children, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. Well, the first thing, first and foremost, I would say is for them to not blame themselves and do everything in their power to wrap their head around the fact that it's not their fault. And I'm particularly talking to the enablers and the codependents, the people that loved him so dearly and wanted him to break the addiction um, for fear of something like this happening. Um, There's a responsibility non-addicts take on, codependents, enablers, that they are responsible for fixing it. They are responsible for the healing, for stopping it. It's not their responsibility. It's the person that's addicted, it's responsibility. And the problem when it's DNA related and not just situational related, you know, not just because someone passed on and so you go into a drinking binge for a while, but then you stop, right? Or you're going through a pandemic and you're inhaling food, (laughs) more carbohydrates than you can burn off. Um, and you find yourself coping, using it as a coping mechanism um, to not blame themselves, because if it is DNA related, um, it, it's like a diabetic, someone born with diabetes. It's, it's DNA. You can't have anyone take the insulin for you. You have to have, make sure the diabetic takes yourself. Right. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I, could, I wasn't like, you know what, girl, I don't feel like going to chemo today. Do you mind filling in for me? It, that's not going to happen, you know? So first and foremost, they need to get professional help to make sure that they don't blame themselves because that's a heavy burden. And is that is that what your organization is set up to do with, with particularly like people like who, like Brennan's family, who has been on the other side of someone else's addiction Yes, definitely. It's to help help them work through that healing process. And not to sound corny, but when I am working with people, I do see them as individual as snowflakes. And they, you know, they say every snowflake is different. I personally never held a, a magnifying glass up. But to go with that saying, um, each individual comes from a different family dynamic, comes from a different birth order. 
has experienced it or perceived that problem in, in their own way, different personality types. So you can't use a cookie cutter approach in helping people to find their particular path towards healing. And ultimately, that's what I was looking for, you know, around 2000, from 2000 to 2005, or someone, I mean, as an athlete, just give us the roadmap. And as athletes, we can figure it out, right? You know, just give me the, the week by week, day by day, month by month program, and I'll just apply it, you know, and I'll carry my journal with me and make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's, it's also sort of my approach is to give that individual their specific roadmap. Um, it's also very important to set up boundaries and healthy boundaries um, and knowing what that means, you know, learning it's okay to say no, um, to, to, to let go of people. You know, one of, I have a lot of books with me here, so bear with me as I bring them up, but this book, let it go. You know, one of the things I had to learn how to do is let go. What do you mean by let go? Because I was trained as an athlete, hold on, don't let anything go. You're responsible. Um, so I had to learn how to let go. I needed someone to explain that to me as, as stupid as that sounds. Um, you know, I needed an example. I yeah. can read the definition. I can do the workout, the, the, the manual exercise, but sometimes you need to just speak with someone confidentially, non-judgmental about it, right? You need the sounding board where you can just scream, yell. Um, someone that you know, they're not going to absorb it, but they're going to be there to help you. And again, that's what I'm doing. So setting boundaries would be another thing. Um, and, and also working towards that path towards healing, um, whatever it may be. But going through also, you know, the, the entire mourning process. But I, I can imagine the amount of um, self-inflicted pain family members and friends must be feeling right now. Because they could see, it's like, remember Whitney Houston? My gosh, what a gift. Um, the number of people that must have felt responsible. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's just, it's mind-blowing. But people have to realize, you know, it, they, they can't take on that that type of weight. It, it was it's just too much to bear. And ultimately, sometimes it is DNA. You know, it, it, you mm -hmm. know, she did the best she could to try to break it and they do the best they could. But it's like it just takes one pill or one drink and all bets are off. Yeah. yeah. And it's not your fight to bear. Unfortunately, it's painful. It is as much as you love them. And what. What I feel so badly about with people that struggle with the addiction is, you know, we're all given different gifts and I can see their gifts. I can see their talent. You know, I've worked with extraordinary mathematicians um, in the investment industry, um, economists, um, you know, in the sports. I've seen extraordinary God gifted talent, you know, stuff that you you're only given, you know, certain height levels or VO2 maxes you're given. You can't create. A, a, an extraordinary VO2 max like Lance Armstrong has, right? You're only given it. You can't, you can work to having a great pitching arm, but some people are just born with it. I'm so when you. you when you see when you see these extraordinary gifts and talents or musicians, but then they've got this demon. It's like it's frustrating for someone like me. Yeah. You can see their potential. But also know that they're fighting a demon that's that's virtually impossible without the proper help. Yeah, I know a few people like that. 
actually. Yep. Absolutely brilliant. Right. But, you know, can't can't seem to get over to the other side because of all of the extra things that are really holding them down. Um, I like to say bondage because we all may have our afflictions with certain forms of bondage. Right. But you have to be able to, to discern that, recognize it and really set yourself on a course that when you know that particular bunch is coming up, you do the opposite so that you can stay, you know, working in your gift. But we're running out of time, but I want to get this book in here because um, you are writing a book called One Rowing Stroke at a Time. I want you to tell me what this book is about, what you're hoping to um, achieve with the book and then where people can connect with you at. Sure. So the book is One Rowing Sugar at a Time, and it's surviving two separate 2.8 centimeter cancer uh, tumors. Um, so back in 2000, my cancer size was 2.8 centimeters. And then ironically, as life would have it, when I had the brain surgery done on a benign meningoma, again, it's benign, it's just a regular tumor, happened to be growing in the right side of my brain, wouldn't you know it was 2.8 centimeters? What are the odds? In fact, when he told me the size of it, my memory bank was like that going through. Something. And I'm like, wasn't that the size of my breast tumor? And as soon as I got home, I'm rumbling through looking for that original diagnosis. And there it was. Wow. So it's essentially, um, I'm not into drama. I, I'm so sorry. I'm not into reality shows. I don't watch soap operas. Uh, I couldn't tell you what happened back on back in the day on Dynasty and on and all those other shows. So there's not drama discussed in the book, but it's really how I worked through each situation to persevere. And yes, there's a ton of scripture in it. Um, you know, I've ra raised in a conservative Christian family, but then I also grew up in a predominantly Jewish community. So I had the best of both worlds, you know, from the Old and the New Testament. And then through the course of my rowing career, depending on where I was in the U.S., I would be um, going to that church that was local. So I'm in Augusta, Georgia. There was a Baptist church. And that's where I went after practice because that was right there for me to go. Um, so I've had a wide range of exposures to different Christian um churches. So I have a lot of sort of scripture throughout that helped me to persevere, but also it just talks about how I use my athletic background, um, how I um, was inspired by my special needs brother, who unfortunately passed three weeks ago. He had cerebral palsy, one lung, um, and a number of other challenges. So he was an inspiration for me to not only write this book, but as you can imagine, for sports, right? Because I'm able to do something that he couldn't. I actually gave him all of my rowing medals because they they didn't mean anything to me, right? They're not going with me anywhere, you know. When when God brings me home, so I gave them to him because I'm like, you're part of the inspiration on this. Like I can't claim this, you know what I mean? Yeah, so sweet. yeah, so I, I I incorporate you know scripture, uh, my brother, and then rowing. Those are the sub themes that I use to explain the path that I took that worked for me. And then maybe that path will help other people. Because this time around, even though we're in a pandemic, which is not the best time to get diagnosed with anything, um, because I had 
was so experienced in, in handling that on my own before. And that I did do the financial aspect, the insurance aspect. I handled all my appointments. You know, I made sure everything was done on my own. This time around, it was kind of easier because it was second nature. I knew mm-hmm. what to do. Mm-hmm. Prepping for surgery. Like I started training harder in October when I was diagnosed. So mm-hmm. I thought I need to get into better shape for surgery. I need to set them up to success, meaning the surgeons. And I got to set my body up for success so it can just plow through the surgery. And so 70 minutes after I was done with surgery and I was in the ICU, I'm like, I need to sit up and I need a Pepsi. And lo and behold, the nurses that sat me up <laughs> because I had been laying on one side for five hours. You can imagine uh-huh. as an athlete, you know, we, we probably move around a lot in bed because we know we're attentive to our bodies. And I just felt like I was doing the mannequin challenge where I was just frozen in one area. And I'm like, I need to sit up. And they're like, can we get you anything? Yeah. I don't know why I wanted a Pepsi. I think I just needed sugar. Uh, And rather than asking for juice, I'm like, I want a Pepsi. Um, So that's what they did. But because I was conditioned, um, I was able to work through it. And then I left, but they let, let me go after two days. I was out of the ICU that day. And they put me in a regular room. And then the doctor said, I need you to walk around the waiting area, you know, the outside area. And I did. He said, all right, you can go. And I was gone. Why? Because I had trained for it physically and mentally. I want to ask you something, a really quick follow up to this, because I didn't know your your book had um, spiritual references. So. I'm a firm believer that everything that we go through in life, there is a spiritual or divine connection to why we were the chosen one to go through whatever we have gone through. What do you think your meaning is? What what was your spiritual connection with all the things that you've gone through up to this point and up to writing that book? What what do you think it was all for? Um, To be a healer in this life. Because I believe I've also studied in 2004, just out of curiosity, I'm a naturally curious person. I'm a closet nerd. I love reading. Um, I did study the Gita, Hindu. I studied um, Buddhism. I was reading about them on the side. Why? Because I wanted to find the parallels for each of them. And ultimately, it brought me closer then to Jesus and his purpose and Moses and understanding them all the better. But I wanted to find the purpose of of what we're here for, you know, and and I'm a Libra. So I'm like, it's only fair to study the other spiritual beliefs and and figure out the parallels. So that's when I realized that I must've been a healer. If it is true that there are past lives and I'm here again, maybe I'm always a healer, which is why this is easier for me to understand it. And it might be harder for other people. And that's why I'm willing to help other people because there are certain things I'm not able to do um, that I would need assistance with. You know, I always joke around decorating is not my thing. My idea of decorating is bringing in a couple bottles of wine, putting them in the wine rack and bringing in a couple herbs. I've decorated. I don't have the eye for it. So naturally I would need somebody experienced to do it. Um, When it comes to something as scary as cancer, you know, or or imagine heart disease. That's another big um, struggle we have in the United States. At least I'm here to guide people through it because not everyone um, has the analytical skills to, to figure it out. You know, it's, it's too overwhelming. It's too daunting. So I must've been a healer. 
that's deep. Um, it's I really, the only way I can figure it out, you know, yeah. it just doesn't make, it doesn't add up. You know, I, cre- I created the cancer, so now I have to uncreate it. Mm. Mm. You know that, okay, so I literally just put out this little small video yesterday because it was just on my mind. I was talking about purpose and how purpose equals power. And you just you just summed it up right there for me. <laughs> purpose can, is, is your power, right? So we don't really recognize that some of the things that we're doing or that we the environments we put ourselves in, we have the power to remove ourselves from that, to remove the, the affliction that may stem from that. But we also have the power to heal ourselves. We have the and, and some people may say, well, that sounds so demonic. Like if God is the only healer, how do we have the power to heal? Because God is supposed to be within us, right? So if right. God is within us, he has granted us his power. We should have the power to do what is necessary to move us, keep moving us forward through this life so that we can live our purpose. And if we feed the scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, um, you that is nourishment, spiritual nourishment, and that can help us towards healing. There's so many, so much scripture. Wow. But my podcast yesterday that I did, I actually pulled out, extracted um, a lot of scripture that that were, were talks about healing. And actually, before this surgery I had, I sent my my niece, much to her dismay, <laughs> a a quick quiz on scripture healing, and, and I I didn't include like the numbers or the books, and I was like, okay, I need you to, it's a scavenger hunt, I need you to find these. <laughs> She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I'm not, because <laughs> there's healing scripture. I mean, and there's healing scripture in the Torah, you know, there's healing scripture in the Gita, um, so and for the East Indian culture, so you know, there's healing scripture in Native American. You know, it's everywhere. So it's it is ours for the taking. Yeah. So that that also helps. Um, and as you know, as an athlete, it's amazing what we can program our minds to do to to have our bodies executed. It, I mean, it's absolutely amazing what we can ask our bodies to do. Um, so if we can ask our bodies to do something athletically, why can't I ask it to heal? Why can't I visualize? I used a lot of visualization. I'm sure you use visualization all the time. Every athlete is, for the most part, wouldn't have some visualization background. I used to visualize, and I'm not a tennis player, that cancer was coming to me and it, and it were the cancer balls and I, my job was to whack them. You know, and, and in real life, it's all I can do to keep that yellow ball in the white lines. But that was what worked for me, you know, or I went into a rowing mode and I was my job was to push away from all the cancer boats that were trying to catch me, you know, and I'm picking up speed. You know, those those are two sports that resonated with me, but that was my visualization in my body to remove it. Yeah, that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. Sounds silly, but it worked. No, no, no. It makes a lot of sense because to to want success, you you should be visualizing what that looks like for you. And so, you know, um, we may not find our, we find ourselves in different situations that we may not have thought we would be in, but the, the core, the core work is still the same, you know, visualize it because I, I think there's something so strong with the mind that when you can visualize something happening, it can turn into your reality. And that's what has happened for you. Um, where can people find you, Beth? And connect. Sure. My website is self 
centralreliant.info. Info is short for information, though it's centralreliant.info. And that's where they can actually read my blogs. I did a lot of research at Carnegie Mellon University on not only just addiction, but, but those on the other side of it. And there are a number of blogs uh, posted there. Um, information, real life content from Carnegie Mellon University. And then that's where my contact information is as well. And they can learn about my career background. Okay. And you said selfreliant.info? That's correct. Okay. Uh, thank you again for coming on to this platform. It's been amazing. And I feel like this was right on time and in alignment with mental health awareness. So much, so many, so it, it was a lot, but <laughs> it's good information because I, I really feel like this is going to, this is going to help a lot of people's lives, not just the people who are non-addicts, but also the individuals who are addicts and why, you know, why they are the way that they are. What environment were they catapulted in that created a trauma for them that they're trying to heal, but albeit doing it the wrong way. So thank you again so much for coming on. Listen, guys, it's been my pleasure to be your host again today. Make sure that you go and follow us on Instagram at what are you sporting about? And um, check out the website, prosportlawyer.com. Stay updated. We have blogs on there. Everything that you need to know for athletes and business. And I also want to want you to make sure that you follow us so that you can get information on the upcoming book launch for Athletes Making Moves. Make sure you go to Facebook and join the movement, Athletes Making Moves on Facebook. Again, my name is Savannah DeBarros, the protector of athletes. And until next time, we'll check you later. Ciao. Thanks for joining us this week on What Are You Sporting About podcast. Make sure to visit our website, prosportlawyer.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, What Are You Sporting About? Attorney Savania DeBarros is available for private consulting at sldebarros.com. And remember, we're here to educate, support, and guide you in your journey to success because we're all sporting about something. Thank you.